0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 12. And the last time the message was titled Liberty or Love. And it's really cool because we're just in a section over the last few months of Scripture where they're not these, you know, remote doctrinal things that we're not sure if we understand or not. This is pretty much something that we read and it actually teaches us how to live. So what we learn is that we do have freedom in Christ. We see that in Romans right? We see that through the scripture. We are, we we don't have to go through all the minutiae of the law. Jeremiah 31 says that it's written on our heart that we desire to please the Lord. And even when we mess up, there is no condemnation in Christ. That's such a blessing because I'm sure some of you, including me, maybe earlier on, went to a church where they're always preaching, you step out of line, God's going to send you to hell. And that's just not accurate. So we see the freedom. We see the grace. We see the forgiveness But we also see love and when we grow in Christ and when we become stronger in our faith There are those that are brand new in the faith and it's it's nothing bad. It's nothing wrong. They're babes in Christ Just like I was and you were if you think way back when you got saved So these people come to Christ and they're not sure what they should do They come out of the world. Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? And if they see those of us that are mature flaunting our freedom then that could cause them to stumble. And they get frightened over that. And it's understandable. So, liberty or love, yes, we do have the freedom in Christ. We do have the grace. We do have the mercy. But there's sometimes that we, we should restrict ourselves for the sake of others who are watching us, especially if we're in a leadership position. And we're going to see this in three parts. Now, before we jump in, I've been doing the series with animals and in the insect world just to show God's hand and his His intricacies and complexities and how he's created things in a natural world. This morning, we're going to talk about the octopus. If you want to show the video without sound, that's an octopus. Now, some people would think that they use their arms to swim. As you can see, they don't. The octopus is a eight-limbed symmetrical invertebrate that uses what's called a siphon to ingest food from the ocean. But the siphon, you see that camouflage? That's pretty cool, isn't it? They camouflage themselves when they're, they think that someone's going to attack them. It's pretty neat, isn't it? But what that siphon does is, because they don't use their arms to swim, the water comes in and they jet it out behind them, almost like a jacuzzi jet. Action and reaction, and that's what propels the octopus through the water. They also, when they feel threatened, have these ink sacs with mucus. Sounds kind of gross. So, if they're being tailed and they feel really uncomfortable, they'll squirt out this inky, mucusy gob to distract their attacker so they can find safety. Octopus. You, actually, I was looking up the plural: octopi, octopuses. Um, there's different words for the plural of it, but they have been uh, measured to where, where some of them have arms as long as 30 feet. That's a, that's that's amazing. 30 foot limbs, and they can weigh up to 600 pounds. So when you see those old drawings of the giant octopus attacking the ship. They're curious creatures. They might not have been attacking. I don't think that they're ferocious, but they might just want to board the ship and see what's going on. However, if you're faced with a 600-pound octopus with 8 30-foot arms, it could be a little intimidating, I'm sure. I think one of the coolest things about the octopus, and I'll leave it on this note, is if you look at the human skeletal system, you have we have bones and we have muscles that attach to various points on the bones. We have what you would call a pulley-level lever and fulcrum system. If we had no bones, we wouldn't be able to move because the way we were designed is to move with the muscles anchored to the bones. Octopus, octopuses are different. They have a series of muscular, a musculature system where they have longitudinal longitudinal circular and circumferential muscles that work against each other. And this is a system that allows them to expand and contract their muscles without the need of bones. As a matter of fact, an octopus can see a crack in the door on a boat that's one inch, and if even the larger ones, if they want to get through, they'll put two or three of their arms through it. Why they want to get through that crack, I have no idea. But I've seen this on videos, too, and they'll pull themselves through that one-inch crack, including those big heads of theirs, without ruining the structural integrity of their brain, the nervous system, the digestive system, squeezes through as well. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, that is, it's a design. Why God made them, I have no idea. I don't know what purpose they serve, but they're actually cool to watch and they're cool to study. So there you have the octopus. (laughs) Okay, we have some really cool animals and insects. There's so many of them. I could do this for till the rapture comes, but just a little bit of a recap. This is the second part of a two-part sermon. So we covered the first part of Romans. I'm going to give you a little recap for those. It's been two weeks for those that haven't been here, or it's been two weeks and maybe forgot a little bit of it. But this is what we covered. We covered. And this is, again, one of those subjects that everybody is in some way affected if they've been in any church or mul- multiple churches long enough. We talked about judging, and we talked about wrong things self-professed Christians judge others over. We talked about legalism. We talked about critical spirits. We talked about that a lot of these things happen in what was I would call the gray areas of God's Word. Does God's word have to address every single thing that we do in life? No, it doesn't. Does God care when you wake up in the morning, if you pick up, pick the blue dress or the red dress? I don't think he cares. You know, he gave us a big brain so we can make simple decisions as well as big and complex decisions. However, there are enough things set out in scripture that we should be concerned about what that says, not Fighting each other over these gray areas. And this is one, some of the things that are spoken of. We've talked about interpersonal relationships within the church and why God wants us to be a part of this organization called the church, even when there's conflict. This is our proving grounds before we go out into the world. But is it a functional church or is it a dysfunctional church? So we're gonna, we're gonna read this and see, and then you make your own determination based on what you read in the scripture. You know, there are some uh, groups, and, and I've said this in the opening, where, you know, pretty much anything you do. And I grew up in a denomination that in some churches, you, you were taught that everything you did was wrong. You're going to hell. And again, that is not reflected in the scripture, especially in these gray areas where God doesn't tell us whether we should do this or we shouldn't do that. Pray about it. Make your own decisions. I think a lot of problem with judging has to do with sometimes Christians get this idea that they've arrived and they want everyone to be like them. And that's the problem. See, we're diverse, right? You're all different. You come from different places. You have different idiosyncrasies. You have different spiritual gifts. So some of the times a legalist in the church or somebody who's a critical spirit if you really boil it down, they pick at people, they pick at the leadership, because they want people to be like them, as if they are the template. And that's wrong, according to Scripture. And we'll look at that. Verse 12, continuing on from two Sundays ago. So then each of us shall give an account of himself or herself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's or sister's way. So one out of three is a stumbling block or a cause to fall. What is a stumbling block? So like, I love to do this if I'm in the Hebrew or I'm in the Aramaic or I'm in the Greek. Wherever I am in the scripture, I like to go back and look at some of these words and phrases and get a richer understanding of what they're saying. So um, a stumbling block literally means an occasion of apostasy or an occasion to fall away from the faith, that's really sad, especially when somebody in the church did this to you and made you feel this way. Now, ideally, 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 because listen, I got saved in a a great church, and my wife and I as new Christians dealt with just critical people, And some of the things we saw kind of freaked us out. That's a term from the 70s and 80s, by the way. I grew up in in that era to freak somebody out, to make them frightened, to, to, you know, you know what I'm saying. You still, it's still applicable today. But what we came to the realization was, is that God is greater than these people who are not setting a right example. So we stuck with the Lord and here we are today. So the ideal situation is that if somebody wrongs you or hurts you, that you don't run away away from God because chances are they're not representing God properly so why punish God for that however some do fall away because they they get bothered they get frightened by it he also says a stumbling block or a cause to fall now i love when people say you can't translate the bible So I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to give you a Greek word, a cause to fall, and you tell me what word comes to mind. I don't care if you call it out. The Greek word is scandalon. Very simple, right? And and I don't have a a room full of Greek scholars? No. Uh, And I'm not either. But we get the word scandal or scandalous from, and what this can be translated, uh, actually back in in Greco-Roman days, was a snare or a trap, as in trapping an animal. So what the point is, is what God is trying to say through the word is, these are horrible things that self-professing Christians sometimes do to others. okay? And God's word says, don't do it or you will face him. And that should be sobering to anybody who practices this type of behavior. It's one thing to wander from the faith because of persecution by the world. But to God, it's intolerable for those in the church to cause it. Big difference. We're going to deal with satanic pressures and things from the world and things to squeeze us and press us, but let it not happen in the church. Although it does at times, this is why I was so passionate about these so-called Christian celebrities that decided they're not Christians anymore. And they, they call the media and remake themselves. And I've, you know, Marty Sampson and Joshua Harris. And it's like, these guys are fools. They're going to deal with the Lord. Okay, But what I'm trying to to do is inoculate new believers from being frightened by this type of behavior, this stuff that they see even in Christian media. I want to read to you, speaking about a stumbling block, let's turn to Matthew 18. Jesus is the master teacher. Only 10 verses here. And I've taught on this in the Gospels, it's on the website, but I just want to go through what I'm trying to find here as far as this whole thing about stumbling block and a cause to fall. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Pride started to set in among his disciples. And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now he goes into the converse, which was not even part of the discussion. But I, I, you know, my thing is after reading the Bible uh, several times is when the disciples would be with Jesus and he would start teaching, he would sometimes go off in other directions that they needed to understand as well. He continues, and this is for this morning, but whoever causes one of these little ones, one of these little children that Jesus put in the midst of them, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. Or enticements, that can be translated. For enticements must come, but woe to that man by whom the enticement comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life or everlasting life, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So now Jesus is speaking about hell, but there's a reason for it. So a stumbling block, a cause to fall, right? Jesus said, woe to that person who does it to a child. And I will say this, that sometimes we think and we see these clergy scandals and we think they got away with it well, they died. Law enforcement didn't get them. That's fine because the Lord got them. And he takes this stuff seriously. And he said, you want to mess with a child? Everything's going to be righted. All the wrongs will be righted at the end. You would wish. And I tell you, I I had near drowning experience, maybe twice, (laughs) maybe three times. I did a lot of dumb things when I was a kid, but that's terrifying. That's a terrifying thing. So Jesus is saying, it'd be better for you. That if a millstone, one of these grinding stones, were hung over your neck and you were thrown into the sea, only to plummet to the bottom, gasping for air, that would be better than what is going to happen to you. And that's a good thing, folks, because that's called justice. You want to hurt a child? But Jesus oftentimes takes this, this stumbling thing, and he also uh, makes an analogy to spiritual matters it's the same thing. Let's go back to our original discussion. In a church where somebody's a brand new believer, they just came up to receive Jesus, and somebody in the church treats them in such a way, for whatever reason, that they leave. And they're, they now walk away from the Lord because of what they thought was a representation of the church. That's serious. So you start to see these parallels here. Lord's not kidding. Again, I expect spiritual battles from the world, the entertainment industry, the media, to pull people away from God. But I do get angry when it happens from within the organization of the church. So, that's what you have there. Now, different ways to stumble another. You can entice a person to sin. person, new believer, just gets saved, and you're a believer, supposedly mature, and you entice them to sin and you get them caught up in something where again it pulls them away from god another one is for them to to get them to betray their conscience yes new believers are fragile they believe a lot of things and they believe they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that and you can explain it to them but ultimately you can't force them to change give them a chance to get there give them a chance to mature right So any any of these garden variety ways of getting someone to fall away from God, that's what the context is. Now here's a caveat, is there is a specific reason for this phrase, to be stumbled. You can't tell me that you are a really mature believer and you're in leadership and you saw somebody do something in, in the church that was sinful and now you say, I'm stumbled. What you're saying is that you're immature or you're trying to manipulate the situation to get somebody to act on it. This phrase is relegated to fragile people who were literally stumbled to apostasy, okay? I will just say this, that, and I'm not, don't get the wrong impression here, I'm not bragging in any way, but if at this point in my stage with the walk, of my walk with the Lord, all my Christian mentors decided tomorrow that they are all, falling away from jesus and they want nothing to do with jesus it wouldn't stumble me it wouldn't freak me out because i've already taken to the lord now we have a relationship where i don't necessarily need them if they did something like that i'd say i feel bad for you guys you better rethink this this is serious this is eternal life or not um but i wouldn't be stumbled by it you know in john chapter 6 jesus taught some heavy things he taught some heavy things And it says, do you realize that Jesus probably had hundreds of followers? He had hundreds of disciples. They were following him. Well, we know he sent out 70 two by two. He had the 12. It's estimated that there was well over 100. In John chapter 6, Jesus ramps up his teaching. Heavy stuff. And it says a lot of his disciples walked away and followed him no more. You familiar with that scripture? It's pretty serious. So he turns to the 12 and says, you guys going to leave too? I'm paraphrasing. And Peter, of course, pipes up and says, Lord, wh- where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> we'll just deal with it, you know what I'm saying? Um, because some of the things we read are going to be tough for us to chew on. They get through. It's, it's heavy. But Peter, it, he expressed the feelings of the rest of the 12 and said, where are we going to go? Are we Are going to go back to the Greco-Roman pantheons? They don't exist. We saw you raise the dead. We saw you do miracles. So... It does take a while, though, to get to that point, right? There's, in every believer's life, there, there gets to be a point that if you find out, I'm not, I'm not tipping you off to anything. For those of you in this church, many of you have gotten to that point with the Lord. So if tomorrow you find out in the paper that I got arrested for something ridiculous, um, that you don't go, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not ever going to follow the Lord again because Pastor Joe. So what? Pastor Joe's expendable. I got news for you. Get to that point where you've taken to the Lord that no matter what happens around you, you're going to stay with him. Amen? All right. So I'm going to jump into 1 Corinthians 8 because this is a parallel scripture. I'm going to read through it and just kind of pick some of the salient points. But there is a parallel between 1 Corinthians 8. It's funny. uh, Paul Jr. covered this Wednesday. Pastor Paul covered it a few months ago. And we didn't plan this. This is almost like a triangulation. So I'm going to say that this message is, is, is going to be beneficial to everyone here in their walk with the Lord in some way. So Paul says, now concerning things offered to idols, remember they would go to the market to buy their meat. Most of them were pagans. The Greco-Romans, they would uh, sacrifice the bull or the animal to Zeus or any of these false idols. And some of the the newer, brand new Christians were afraid to eat that meat. Well, what if it does something to me? Well, what if I go to hell? Well, what if, Paul's like, listen, Zeus doesn't exist, (laughs) but they haven't gotten that part yet. So he goes, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, which the people believe, by the way, yet for us there's only one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. Therefore, there is not in everyone that knowledge, and let me throw that word yet in. They don't have that knowledge yet. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak or fragile or new is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Now, that's not a pejorative, folks, because I was a new believer at some time, and I was weak, and I was immature, and I was fragile. Not physically, but I was spiritually. So, that's not a pejorative. That's a fact. That's why born again, babes in Christ, all these words, these metaphors of growing up, like you're starting all over again, but your physical body's at a a mature point, but your spiritual self is not yet. Yet. So, if that's you, take heart. The Lord's going to do a great work in you. But the rest of us that are mature need to come around you and teach you and mentor you and help you until you get to that point. It's good stuff. For if anyone sees you, uh, I have a lot to say, but I don't want to make this three hours long either. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating at an idol's temple, mm -mm -mm, this pork chop is good. (gasps) But it was offered to Zeus. Oh, throw it in the garbage. You didn't see that. You know what I'm saying? Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So this should be really refreshing to any of you who have come up here and received the Lord in the last year or have rededicated your life or you've, you've been through a falling away period or a, uh, a backsliding and you're back and you have that renewed passion for the Lord, this should really bless you. Okay, let's go back to Romans 14 and you'll see the similarities. Let's jump into 14, 14, 14. I know that I know and am convinced by the Lord, Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. And and this goes both ways. Some people will be like, you know, I don't want to touch that food or you know, whatever. I mean, well, I'm going to go through a whole a litany of things uh, that you'll run into. Um, but also people will try to do the reverse. You have to take this oil or take this food or do this thing and God will accept you. It's about a relationship. It's not about inanimate things in this world. So there's nothing unclean of itself, he says, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him, that new believer, it is unclean. That's what they believe in their mind at this point. Yet if your brother or your sister is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy, that's a powerful word, with your food for the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So you're doing a good thing. You have freedom in the Lord. But because you freak somebody out, that's the expression for the day, you're, you're hurting them. You're wounding them. They're not at that point yet. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the, to the religious leaders of his day, You guys are tithing your your herb plants. You're doing all these genuflections and all these these rites and rituals. He said, but you forgot justice and mercy and love. You're not loving the people that you're leading. You're just so concerned about your little world of religiosity. And this is why people get turned off by religion. And it's understandable. I'm not going to argue with you. So two out of three is forbidden or fine. Forbidden or fine. Now, I know the answer to this point. I'm glad Ed is in the back from Overcomers. He does the addictions group at 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings. A little plug for you. And uh, I know a lot of those people down there. So let's say I go, and this is all, these are all not real, so please... I go down there and I say, hey, hang out with the pastor. You know, let's all go to the bar and I'm going to buy the first five rounds. Well, Ed's a nice guy, but he would probably charge me like a bull and say, hey, I'm shepherding these people. What the heck are you doing? And he would have every right to do that because what I would be doing is I'd be like, "Look, I can have a glass of wine with dinner, have a beer, have this. Well, for some, one turns into 12, turns into 20, turns into blackout. So would I do that? Absolutely not, Ed. It's cool, man. We're cool, me and you. But the point is that those of us who have a freedom in Christ, who can, in certain areas, handle it, should not be setting a poor example to others, causing them to stumble and and saying, you know, come on, you can do this. Maybe they can't do it. So I've chosen as a lifestyle... Even when I go out to dinner, I'm off duty. I'm out of the pulpit. I don't order alcohol with my meals or anything. I've just chosen not to do that. I mean, I'm around young people all the time, and I don't know what the issue is. So I was taught in Calvary Chapel that pastors shouldn't do that. So I don't. I agree with one of their few rules that they have. You see where we're going here, folks? There's things I can do as a pastor. If you see me out in Stop and Shop or out on the road, there's certain things. What if I get into a road rage incident and me and some guy are duking it out uh, on the side of Applegarth Road? You're going to be like, wait a minute. Urgh, isn't that Pastor Joe? Hey, let me take my cell phone out. <laughs> Believe me, on the road, people have ticked me off. And the Lord said, keep driving. Keep driving. That's reserved for somebody breaking into my house at 2 o'clock in the morning. Otherwise, I just keep going. They cut me off. They, it, Listen, I, I know the rules of the road. I know the codes still. Hey, wait a minute. You just violated that. and You're giving me the finger. I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? You're all laughing because our flesh comes out, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit, thankfully I have the Holy Spirit, says, Dummy, just keep driving. Okay, Lord. <laughs> and I do. I'll just make a turn off of here and folks. is this? It's funny stuff, isn't it? But it's true. This is real life as Christians. And it's not just me. You know, James is an usher. He wears that vest. He's a great guy. When he's off duty, we're never off duty as Christians. And sometimes, yeah, we have freedom to do certain things, but we need to choose love instead of those freedoms. Some things we're not supposed to do. So let me, this is a lot of this stuff has to do with gray areas that the Bible doesn't really speak about, but people make doctrines over when they shouldn't. Believe me, there's enough of the scripture. If you want to be legalistic, just read what's here. Don't make up your own rules for other people. So where was I? (laughs) Um, There are some that come out of uh, Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, and they're taught a lot of legalism. They're taught a lot of fear. And they'll come to this church. And I also will not force them to participate in some things that we do that maybe they're still smarting from back then. Well, the the world got into this day. The world got into this holiday. I just say as Christians, especially with Christmas and Resurrection Sunday, let's take it back from the world. People come here and they think they're just going to see a children's play and their grandkid and stuff. And they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the way of salvation. So I'll give you another example. I got a lot of them. I went to um, a funeral, let's just say that, years ago. And there was an older Christian in age. And the person who had passed was into a secret society. It was weird. And they did all these secret societies. And they had these vestments. And the older Christian went down to the basement of the funeral home. I'm like, where are you going? (laughs) Oh, I don't want to be around that. I actually sat there and stared at them. I wanted to learn what they were doing. I wanted to learn what the symbols meant because I'm not afraid. My God is stronger than any of the weird stuff in secret society that they're doing. So, but he was not there yet. He, I couldn't say to him, you got to come upstairs. What are you, a chicken? I couldn't do that because he wasn't there yet. You see how this can apply to so many different things? Uh, Did it affect me? Did it turn me into, you know, Illuminati or something? No, it didn't. But I found it interesting and I took mental notes as I watched what they were doing. It, it just seems so sad and so cold and so, so hopeless. Your, your guy, part of your society dies and this is the hope that you're giving everybody else who's mourning? Nah, you should come to one of our funerals. We tell people about Jesus and hope and everlasting life and streets of gold and, and all that good stuff. So, um, so there's another example there. Uh, verse 15 he said not to destroy someone over this, these insignificant things. Just love them and just restrict yourself while you're in their presence. Verse 16, he says, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. And again, you can do something between you and the Lord, and it can be free and it could be non-sinful. But if, if somebody who's fragile sees it, now it becomes something that's negative and it's not free anymore. And there are some Christians who have the attitude, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to do what I want because I have freedom in Christ. And they flaunt it. Not the right attitude to have. Yes, they have freedom in Christ, but why would you want to hurt somebody who's... Just think about this. Forget about somebody who's my age or older. What if there was a, a, a six-year-old around you and maybe the child wasn't yours, or was somebody in the churches. Would you want to do something that would give that kid nightmares? Oh, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, because a new believer is like a toddler, is like a child. You see what I'm saying? So, all right, I'll pass on that for today because these people around, that's fine. Love them is what the Bible is saying. Now, here's a, a major caveat, and I always have caveats. This is speaking about the new and fragile believer This is for the sincere person who is at the stage of their walk where they're overly concerned about what they do and not displeasing God. This is not that we have to restrict ourselves and put ourselves in a box for that person who's been a Christian for a long time and they just want to manipulate your behavior. That's not what this is for. Those type of people, I don't care what you think of me. The fragile believer, I care what you think about what I'm doing. That type of person, that critical spirit, I don't care what they think. Because they're just rude and obnoxious. I probably shouldn't have said it like that. So just soften that a little bit. (laughs) But there are people that are in the church who, they're like, uh, they're trying to modify your behavior. Because they want you to do it their way. And that's not right. That's not what this is for. Verse 17, again... For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Big picture. Don't major on the minors, right? Righteousness, peace, and joy are more important than food and drink and high holy days and pre-trib and post-trib and body types. And I mean, I, I went through some of these here. Here's another one. It's not spoken about in the Scripture. I've been to a few churches. I got saved in a church. Wonderful people, some not so wonderful people. I've even seen this with new parents, mommy group, daddy group. And you have these groups and they, they discipline their kids and they raise their kids a certain way. And if someone in that group doesn't do it that way, they can't be friends. I've seen this with the vaccination group and the anti-vaxxers. And now you got mommies that are split up in camps. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. I'm, just, I'm telling you my experience over 25 years. And it's almost militant. And they, you know, you vaccinate your kids. You're doing horrible things to your children. Well, you don't vaccinate your kids. And they're going to get... It's like, me I don't want to get in the middle of that argument. But pray about it. Seek uh, uh, medical advice. And do raise your kid the right way that you see fit between you and God. Stop trying to push your agenda on other people. Amen? Right? We can go on. I talked about the juicing. I talked about people who judge people over body types. I've seen situations where someone who's very attractive comes into the church, and there's somebody who picks on them for no reason. It happens across all lines. It's like, can we just focus on what the scripture says and stop doing this stuff? I had a woman six years ago, a wife, come up to me, and I got along very well with her husband. What a nice guy. Um, he's actually gone to be with the Lord at this point. But she came up to me one day after being in our ch- her church for a year, and she said, wow, you are so accepting of interracial relationships. And I'm like, why wouldn't I be? And she said, well, because my experience, and I'm thinking, is this what churches discuss? This is stupid. You know, the only caveat in choosing a mate is that if you're on fire for the Lord, right, read it. Choose whoever you want. Get married, right? With a man and a woman. <laughs> Be careful with that one. Um, so the only caveat is that if you're on fire for the Lord and that person is not, that they're gonna, they don't care anything about the Lord, you're going to have trouble in the, in the relationship. So that's a, that's a cautionary tale. You know, you should both have the same goals as far as spiritual things. I'll give you another example and then I'll stop. I don't want to say I promise because I'll probably think of something else. I had a guy in the church, and and these people are gone, so don't look around panicking. I hope that person doesn't get to me. Thankfully, they've moved on. Sometimes I help them. Um, After about a year of preaching, the guy comes to me, and he says, You wear a lot of black clothing. Sometimes I feel like I'm on candid camera. Sometimes I feel like there's somebody somewhere with it to see my response. I'm like... Yeah, I like black, blue jeans, grays. Here I am now explaining my, my clothing choices. Since I got married, I wear more pinks and, and greens and purples. I think I'm pretty balanced. I know black, here's some green. Yeah, I think that's green. Who cares? So he goes, I said, what's the issue? He goes, well, you know, it could indicate um, some emotional issues. I'm like, dude... I'm not making this stuff up. Arnie over there, he's told me, and not in our church, but he said some of the worst things that have happened to me happened to me in church. And he's allowed me to to share. He's shaking his head. So it isn't just you. It happens to me, too. I'm like, well, so what did you learn about the message? Mm, Were you staring at my shirt the whole time? (laughs) What's up with you, you know? Uh, Okay, I think I'm done at this point. I got it all out of my system. Folks. When I wrap it up, you'll see how we're supposed to just serve the Lord and love each other. These things are just dumb. I don't have any other word for it. Verse 18. This is therapeutic for me. (laughs) For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. And that's what you want. Harmony with the Lord and harmony with other people as much as possible. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up another, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Now that word translated means, this is why I like to go into the old languages. It is evil for the man who eats with a feeling of giving offense. Right? So in other words, you're purposely in a situation where you're hurting the conscience of other people around you. Okay? It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is, a mate or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself from what he approves. So you know what the Bible says. You know what you can and can't do. And it's between you and the Lord. Be happy. You, you, you and the Lord have a great relationship. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. And that's from the fragile person's point of view. Otherwise, it doesn't seem to make sense at first glance. So three out of three is there's work to be done for the kingdom, so we need to be unified in the important things. Verses 18 through 19. Harmony with God, harmony with each other, peace and edification. Right? And folks... This is important because edification means to build each other up. When we go out and we serve the Lord, as I'll explain in closing, we need to build each other up. We need to uh, encourage each other, especially if we're going out into the world and doing something that's maybe there's pressure involved or maybe there's satanic pressure or to try to get us not to do it. We need to lift each other up. And if you have a church that's dysfunctional and people are fighting all the time, chances are they're not doing anything in the community. And I've seen that. And that's sad. Well, why do we even exist? What are we, just a social club? We're supposed to be furthering, furthering God's kingdom and the earth. So he says, verse 20, 20 through 21, don't destroy the work of God over this stuff. And he says in verse 15, destroy as well. God has entrusted much of his work to the church as an organization. And this type of bickering and Im- immature behavior curtails it. Verse 20 it's evil for the man who eats with a feeling of giving offense. This person is overfocused on their liberty, and they don't care about how they affect others around them. And that's what he's trying to express here. Verse 22, he says, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Remember, as long as the Bible doesn't specifically say this is evil, don't do that. So be thrilled that you have that, um, that freedom in Christ. We know that Romans 8.1, that even if we do sin, that there's no condemnation by God to those who are in Christ. So even when we do, as mature believers, go out of the bounds and do something we shouldn't do, there's forgiveness this is a great deal. I mean, this is, it's free. The only one who had to pay for this deal was Jesus on the cross. He did all the work. He paid the price. He died for our sins so that we could have everlasting life. Amen. I mean, the rest is just gravy as the expression goes. No condemnation, even when we do sin. But our desire is to have that relationship with God and and to have that mutual understanding and have that freedom and not feel, like I did as a kid, that I just walked away from the Lord because I thought I'm going to hell anyway. That was what my impression of religion was. So, yeah, so, you know, in my 20s, uh, it all changed when I went to a church that actually taught the Bible. I didn't know any of this stuff before then, and that's sad. Um, You know, it's just, there are some, unfortunately, that go the extra mile in and this is weird. I don't get this. You'll see this on TV, and you have to see it for what it is. I speak a lot against celebrity Christianity because I think it's destructive for a lot of reasons. It's, it's us mimicking the world instead of showing the world Jesus. We're going in the wrong direction. For those of you that know, and I've mentioned it before, there are some people, they're young, they're in Hollywood, they're in the entertainment industry, and they're, they seem on first glance that they're truly seeking God and they keep messing up, and they keep stumbling, and they're, they're, you know what it is? They don't have good mentors. You know, uh, Kanye West is now very outspoken, and he said, listen, I had a lot of problems. I had a nervous breakdown. He's so, totally admitting that what he did in the past wasn't right. I believe he's trying. You know, Justin Bieber is another one, I, and they, they mess up, and then they backslide, and they they redevote themselves to the Lord, and, and you got to pray for them, because they need good mentors. Well, there's a mentor of Justin Bieber, and I don't like this guy. I think he's a wolf. He, um, he calls himself the celebrity pastor. He's, he thinks he's cool. He thinks he's relevant. He's one of the uh, pastors, Carl Lentz at Hillsong, and you see videos, I've seen videos, because people say something, but when you see a video, it's, it's pretty obvious of him with Justin Bieber, uh, because he's the mentor, right? He's teaching him how to be a man of God. And they're out in a bar throwing back shots of tequila. Just like the, the, um, the example talking about Ed with, with Overcomers. Here's a guy who's supposedly the celebrity pastor, and he's just so cool, right? So relevant. Although he nosedived when he was on Oprah Winfrey and he had the opportunity to share the gospel with probably a billion people and he blew it because he's more concerned with his appearance and his coolness and his lifestyle than he is with the truth of the gospel. So here he is, people who have addictions, he's leading them into drunkenness. And I don't blame Bieber, I blame him because Bieber is looking up to him. You see, that is the quintessential of a bad that's this on steroids. That's this horrible situation. You know, if you, if you are, call yourself a mature believer, you don't lead somebody into a, a point where they're going to destroy themselves. And again, it goes back to even the, um, the uh, one of the, I think which is actually top on the list, the worst is the, these pedophilia scandals. I mean, you can't, you have a church, you can't protect kids. This goes on for decades, if not centuries. What's your problem? If you want to bring your kids here, have a conversation with me, and it won't be five minutes on what we do to protect children because they're innocent. That is the worst in stumbling somebody to sin. And these people now, it happened 40 years ago, they have a very skewed picture of God because of what happened to them by those who supposedly represented God. That is the worst of the worst. So that's the, you know, okay, I'm done with that so it's sad though it's a a really sad thing the paradox here of the principles of Christian liberty which is the title yes we have freedom but yes we also should restrict ourselves at times due to loving others 1 Corinthians 8 1 says knowledge puffs up but love edifies I'll give you an example oh well, James, what are you afraid of doing that for? I read the whole Bible, and don't you know you can do that? Don't be such a baby. Don't be a coward about that. That's actually knowledge, but not edifying him, right? So knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love is, it's cool. If you want, I'm here. If you want to talk about it. If not, all good, man. You do a good job. I love what you do in the church. I love you, man. You're a good brother in the Lord. That's love, Right? Maybe instead of judging others, those that judge should help them and come alongside of them. As Warren Wiersbe once said, quote, conscience is strengthened by knowledge. So the new believer, as they read the word and they pray and they're around church and they hear sermons, they're going to start to grow. their their repertoire of scripture, their understanding of their walk is going to be strengthened, right? So conscience is strengthened by knowledge, but knowledge must be balanced by love. Otherwise, that knowledge tears down and destroys instead of building up. Isn't that amazing? How something good can turn into something bad depending on how it's used. My pastor said that My pastor, when I was in my formative years, said, I'm not the type of person to go to an abortion clinic and hold up placards, grotesque placards. Are they saying that it's murder? Are they right knowledge-wise? Yes. Are they showing love to anybody? No. So when my wife and I had the chance, and somebody was put into our life, and she was 17, and she was, it was a terrible situation, terrible family situation. You know what we did? We took her into our house for a year. We didn't tell her what to do, but you know what? She kept the kid. We loved her. We paid her bills, you know, um, because I remember what my pastor taught me. And that's the important part about having mentors. Is it, is it knowledge? Are you right clinically? Yes. But is there any love in that rightness? That's the question. That's the question. So these are the gray areas. Liberty, yes. Love, yes. Yes. We can show that we love God by showing God that we can love others. Here, let me give you a real life example and then we'll close. Okay, so in this church, and, and I know, you know, I, I do some things, the other pastors, the ushers, the children's ministry people, we've got a lot of awesome people in this church. Some of you serve um, in New Brunswick at Food, food Lines, some of you go down to Trenton to feed people to clothe people we have so many ministries we have friday nights um some people go to nursing homes some people go to soup kitchens you know so let's just say that when you're let's just do this you you saw the video and i was the point man i was the the dish the napkin the turkey and the ham guy right so it comes to me first now, it's a small place, it was warm, and the line went out into the hallway by the bedrooms. So I could already hear it. You cut the line, she cut the line. So I'm thinking, we got to move this food line, and we got to move it quickly, <laughs> okay? Because we want to make everybody happy, let them get the trip to and the, t- the turkey, and just start relaxing and having a happy Thanksgiving. So here I am, I'm the point man. There's people next to me. Do you think I care when I have that plate in my hand? When I look over, do you think I care if they're eight foot tall or four foot tall? Do you think I care if they're 300 pounds or 100 pounds? Do you think I care if they're a millennial, a baby boomer, or an octogenarian? Do you think that I care if they're a pre trib mid trib, post trib, no trib, you know, tr- or you're like tribbles, you know? I don't care. I don't care if you're in a uniracial langu- uh, marriage or a biracial language. You know what I care about? That when I pass you the plate, that you're ready with the mashed potatoes and you're ready with the stuffing, amen? And see, that's where it all comes. It all comes to a head because when we focus on stupid things that aren't in the scripture, we get bogged down and the church stalls as an organization. When we look at each other and we love each other, and he says, for peace, for love, for edification, and we're building, and everybody did an awesome job on that food line. I was in a zone. I felt like I, I was in surgery, like I was under anesthesia. I just, all of a sudden, the last person, and I took a breath. <sighs> we were boom, 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 getting everybody fed. So this is where, when you, when Pastor Joe, well, you know, there's a lot of theory, there's a lot of doctrine. This is where it comes to life. When you serve the Lord, and you love each other, and you celebrate your diversity, your diversity in the gifts, and, and we care for each other, and the, the fragile believers, that we grow them, and we help them to mature, and they get to the point where they don't necessarily need us anymore, because they've paired, they've taken to the Lord in such a way that they're good at this point. They can walk strongly, and they're not stumbled anymore, Amen. This is the cure for critical, and and I've seen this with Christians, like they they serve, they're good servants, and then they get some type of title, and all of a sudden, they're telling everybody what to do. It's like, well, what are you doing? You're you're done serving? I'm not done serving. You know what I'm saying? They become self-important. They sit back. They complain about things in the church. They complain about what I'm wearing. It gets stupid after a while. But I love this about the Lord's word is that everything that he does, everything that he does makes
0: perfect sense. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m., On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.